Hello and welcome to this episode 46 of the Northern Invasion podcast. And this this fine evening, um, you do you you're joined by by myself, Stu West, and with us we have uh, Young Master Watson. Good evening. And then we are joined uh, once more by our our favourite um, statistician from across the water, um, <laughs> Mr. Mr. JP. Hey guys. So so how how's everybody doing? Are you all uh, are you all well and and I'm ready to face the the summer apocalypse. Yeah. <laughs> just so how thing. how many toilet rolls do you have in your house, JP? Ah, uh, no, I've replaced them all just with stats abacuses for the apocalypse. <laughs> They're called love beads. They're love beads. <laughs> That's not stats abacuses. Don't let them tell you that. <laughs> uh, yeah. So so yeah. Um, we were saying just then before we started that the the measure of a man is now not how many head of cattle you have, but it's how many times you can wa- wipe your ass when the end times come. So um, yeah, we're we're reasonable. We're stocking up on ale and Games Workshop paints. Um, so that's what's needed. Perfect drink. Yeah. So so I'm I'm my my ramblings this evening, of which there won't be many because we're tackling a subject to which I am um especially um ignorant. But my, my ale for the evening is Brewdog Clockwork Tangerine, a citrus session IPA. So there you go. Right, so so um first things first. Um let's let's hear what you've been up to before we before we tackle the big questions. In terms of hobby. Um, you've not been on for a while, JP, and you're our guest, so we'll let you go. <laughs> what, what's been on your uh, on your table, your your hobby table? Yeah, well, I've I've been I've been trying to step up uh, my my painting game recently. So right now, I've just started painting Catacross, actually. So I sold. I was going to play OBR, I didn't end up playing OBR. So I sold all of the army this this week, but I kept Catacross as like a hobby project. So I'm practicing some non-metallic metal on his you know glaive thing and trying to make a little bit of a hobby project out of that so that's what i'm looking at game wise i've been i've just been running that mixed deck list with you know random smorgasbord of stuff that uh, the list bot spat out which i didn't get to play this weekend because of the coronavirus but i will i will run out at some point yeah what about yourself nathan what have you been what have you been up to Literally nothing. Um, <laughs> I've been incubated or not incubated. That's the wrong word. In- yeah, insulated, incubated. not insulated either. Isolated. You just keep going. Uh, just keep saying those words. Yeah, yeah. Been isolated the last uh, the last week. But um, as many of our listeners will be able to attest, that having a week off work when you've got a young child doesn't instantly mean new uh what is it <laughs> coronavirus new army no. i've seen banded about twitter so i've uh, i've been doing very very little in the way of hobby uh, but hoping to into your elbow some. just coughing into your elbow <laughs> yeah that's it uh, i go back to work tomorrow um just in time for the world ending i suppose so <laughs> well that's good that's good yeah. positive stuff i've i've built a war chanter oh, nice. nice yeah and i've uh, i've i've primed him and that's it <laughs> since since i was last on uh, but then again i i did only record something two days ago so so there you go i've, I've had some some productive time while i've been in isolation nice. so uh yeah yeah i've, I've built a war chanter so there you go i'm gonna use <laughs> him in, in war cry i think uh, he's gonna go with my okay, nice. it's a larger proportion of the army in that game 
Yeah. Yeah, so it's quite good. I've, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. So and that's the same with me. It's just a hobby project. I'm not planning on getting them out this year. Yeah. Um, I don't know how many. I was always going to be struggling to get to tournaments this year. Um, and then, I, well, we don't know, do we, how things are, are going to pan out, I don't suppose, yeah, no for, for this season. Um, <laughs> there's a few big ones that I was supposed to be going to down to Bobo and, and then overseas for the, the ETC, but, well, it's all up in the air, I suppose, at the minute. Yeah, who knows right now. Yeah, and it doesn't matter, does it? To make sure that all your opponents and yourselves are healthy is what matters, and that you have a, a great new army when 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 we can all go outside and enjoy the sun again. Scotland's just going to be the only team to turn up to the ETC and win by default. Yeah, yeah, that'll be it. We'll we'll just go with our with our mixed death and our. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'll be good fun, and we'll take a we'll take a, a trog army or something as well, and, you know. <laughs> so no, that that's very little hobby. Um, so I suppose the main thing, um, well, we did have some questions, but uh, we'll see how much time we've got at the end. Um, and you're probably a good one to speak because we had somebody asking about Zinch, um, and why, why we believe it. Cause I think last time we were all together, uh, it maybe got a little bit of bad press from us or just a little, um, it, where there was a bit of fear and doom munging and they'd send that said that they hadn't, uh, they hadn't seen it locally taking off and we're just asking what its strengths were. So I don't know in a few a few sentences you could sum that up between you. I know that uh you've you've played them uh quite a lot, JP. Yeah, yeah, I think I mean I think we well, we saw Zinch obviously explode in Heat One right after they came out, and then they immediately I think two things happened. One, there was obviously the FAQ that took them down just a couple pegs. They lost the just sort of board wide immunity to Battleshock from the Destiny dice, and they went down from two teleports to one teleport and change host. Mm-hmm. And so that, I think, took them down a little bit. And then also, lots of people just stopped playing them. And I think that's for um, a couple reasons. One, because they probably weren't having very fun games. And two, I think people have... Games Workshop have had good responses to like armies getting a little bit too powerful. And I think people have cottoned on to immediately jumping onto the meta bandwagon isn't like a safety net for a year anymore you know so i think in terms of that we're sort of not necessarily seeing everything that zines can do but i think the army is still is super consistent it has a bunch of like really good war scrolls that we've seen in the the flamers and the horrors sort of most of the lists are having a mix of those and which is just lots and lots of wounds for bodies and lots and lots of shooting. So I think that's why they're going to keep being, you know, a top a top tier army for a while. And there's stuff that can beat them, but I think that they, they've just got with Destiny dice for securing key roles and just really high quality units. They're they're, they're going to stick around. Yeah, no, that's good. Have you anything to add to that, uh, Nathan? No, not particularly. Um, it's a fairly comprehensive uh, overview of it, but yeah, no, they're they're a really good army, and um, you can't really. There's no there's no one answer to this is how you deal with it. It is just a, a matter of on the table making the the best out of uh, any openings that you get. But yeah, no, they're incredibly strong. But I think I think they need to let it. I don't think they need any more nerfs just now. Maybe pink horrors need looked at, but other than that, that's pink horrors in general, not just in Zinch. Like pink horrors are 
free free pink horrors maybe need looked at. Yeah. yeah. Is that from the Gaunt Summoner? Do you think? Yeah, Gaunt Gaunt Summoners one for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, um, Nathan talked about it before. Also, if you limited the unit size to ten, it would yeah. it would tone a lot of these lists down because the twenty, especially if they're in a chain chest, and even if they're not, it's just so many wounds in one block that it's really hard to deal with. And I don't think I think the min units of ten wouldn't be weak. I mean, I, I played them; they're not they're not a weak unit. And you can, you know, that's fifty wounds instead of. 100 wounds which is just way easier 50 wounds is within the remit of two units charging it and taking it off instantly whereas 100 wounds that require you know maybe three or four units which is hard to do into any one block of infantry even if you could technically get into charge ranges so maybe something like that but yeah as nathan says i think right now there's there are always going to be some armies that are strong enough to be the best armies and it doesn't seem like right now zinch are so oppressive that they need another nerf or at least if they are, we can leave it a little bit longer to see if that's the case. Yeah. Yeah. No, fair play. Thank you very much. So there <laughs> you go. Hope that answers answers the person. Um, so before before we get going then and, and talking about uh, all things uh, that you've been doing, the interesting stuff, and I know that you and Nathan have spoke about it quite a lot because he's hinted at that last time we were on. Um, but why don't you tell folk a little bit about yourself? So you're uh, you're you're not not a... Uh, uh, 100% native to, to <laughs> yours, it might be fair to say so so go on tell us tell us where you've come from and how you got into the uh how you got into the hobby yeah so um I lived in the U.S. near Chicago till I was eight and then I moved to England because my dad's work and I was there till I was 18 and then I went to uni in, in Edinburgh and then basically stayed there it's the place I've lived longest in my whole life for uh 12 years and then recently, uh, my fiance got a new job working at Rare. And so we moved from Edinburgh to Leamington Spa. It was funny. People used to ask me, like, what, what will you ever leave Edinburgh? And I was like, maybe to move somewhere, you know, that's super sunny, you know, Spain or Australia <laughs> or something like that. Or maybe the Midlands, you know, you never know how those yeah, things yeah. yeah. work out. And then I got into the hobby because uh, my friend, Phil McGuinness, accomplished KO player, podium uh, earlier today and follow the old world um he basically was just like yeah i want to i want to get back into it and i went to a games workshop and with him just you know to keep him company and i was like okay well I'm ne- I, I told the guy there i was like i'm gonna buy a carnosaur i'm gonna paint it because that looks like it's fun but i'm never gonna play the actual i have no interest in playing the actual game and then obviously from from there it's just all a, a downward spiral yeah, the catcher, they, 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 they lie to you, don't they? They, they say, yeah, it could be a hobby project, and yeah, you're not obliged to play at all, and then, then they've got you. Yeah, then it's ni- then you're 90 skinks deep, and there's no going back. <laughs> so, no, and it's uh, good times for the Seraphon. I've been uh, reading through the book this weekend, and, and it looks really, really exciting. People are loving it, and it seems like like whatever build you want to go, there's something there's something for you. And I think even, even in the Zinch book, which you know, maybe was out of line power wise, like when that book came out, there were, there are, it doesn't, maybe isn't as powerful as Change Host or Flamer Spam, but it, whatever you wanted to play, there's a good list for you there. And I think you want, avoiding like the, if you're not first, you're last gamer mentality that can often creep in. Like you want to play a screamer list, there are good screamer lists in there that can, that can be competitive at a tournament, even if not as competitive as playing Flamer Spam or whatever else. 
Yeah, no, that's fair, and I think that's that's something that each of the new books is giving people. It's giving them options, yeah. isn't it? Totally. Oh, oh, that's cool. So, okay then. So, uh, so I know that you've been into some stats and things for a while. Now, mm-hmm. uh, initially, what I was familiar with, and which I could understand, although I don't know how you <laughs> did it because it's a bit of a dark art, is that you had the Age of Sig Simulator. Yeah. Um, website where you could basically input data of a unit and it'd give you the odds of of what it'd do and it'd yeah. it'd basically tell you what efficient units were. So do you wanna do you wanna explain that to the masses first of all before yeah. we talk about well, other things? I mean, I, I it basically you know it started as just a personal tool from myself and then I was like, well, I talk about it a lot and it's useful for my friends, so I put it on the internet. But the big thing that I think I wanted to move away from there was a lot of the times people want like people are pretty good at in their head working out the the average damage for a unit or like the maximum potential damage those are the two that you tend to see but the average damage you're only getting like about you know 50% of the time that's that's basically how it works out so it's it's sort of like you look at the average damage and really you're only doing that damage on a 4 plus so one of the things that i did with simulator is i sort of move the boundary down and said, what's the chance of 70% chance that you do at least this much damage? And so it gives you a more conservative but safer estimate of each of those units damaging types. And then it also breaks down the chance for each number of wounds. So maybe on average, you don't kill Nagash when you charge him, but it can be still useful to know that, okay, you actually do kill him 30% of the time. So maybe that's worth, maybe you think I'm going to lose no matter what, so I'm going to go for the one and three charging Nagash. And so that's basically why I set it up. And then over time, they're just uh, Age of Sigmar has added a lot of things like, you know, two hits on a six or, you know, a six to wound is an extra damage or combinations of these buffs. And so that's turned into being useful because that's hard to work out even in your head. Like, you know, how much how much extra damage are you getting from sixes to hit compared to one rend on sixes to wound or something like that? Like when Plague Monks came out and had about 18 different War Scroll procs. So that was... Yeah. Uh, yeah, what so, is it that um, 70% is known as, anyway? Like, a, Rich um, keeps saying it to me. Yeah, it's, like, it's, the, it's the upper quartile. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, 75% would be the upper quartile, yeah. Okay, so that's, as you say, conservatively, that's the sort of thing you can almost bank on. And you yeah. know, if you're going to expect something, this is what you'd expect yeah. it to do. Yeah, it might surprise you and be even better sometimes. Yeah, exactly. It, it's basically, like, a lot of the times what you can do, and... Sometimes, you know, if I'm at the tabletop, is you can just sort of take how many attacks you have and you just divide them in half twice. And that'll give, like, that'll give you a rough, you know, guide. Because I think often you can feel like, look, I've got, you know, 35 attacks here. But, you know, then they're hitting on fours, so you're down to, like, 17. Then you're wounding, and then they're saving. So often you can sort of, the big number that you had at the start becomes a very small number at the end. You can get caught out, you know, you charge into something, you don't do nearly as much damage as you want and then you get hit back so i found looking at the more conservative estimates means you're picking fights where a little bit of bad luck isn't going to be hugely punishing for you and so do you do that when you're picking your lists or do you just become familiar with what the odds are once you've uh, you've picked your lists and then just get used to applying it on the table i think it's more when i pick a faction and i'm like oh i want to play this and i'm building my list i tend to check out what a lot of the units how much damage they do because it can be like if when flesh eater courts came out when you looked at the damage that a vampire lord on a zombie dragon did before 
and then you compared it to what damage like a buffed up plus D3 plus one rerolling hits terror guys did. Like it was like five zombie drivers all piled on top of each other. So it's like knowing stuff like that means you can sit there and you can build the old Grizzlegore list, which was just two mounted kings and nothing else essentially in the list because they really do carry army carrying amount of damage. Um, so I tend to look at that sort of stuff to get an idea, but then you're not necessarily bringing units for that. Like well, I've been playing a lot of Legion of Grief and things like Blade Geist and Grimgath, I don't particularly worry about how much damage they do because I know it's okay and not huge from looking at it. And then, but you bring them because of, you know, a bunch of the other stuff there, Ethereal, you can bring them back. They can resurrect from gravesite. So it's attrition. So it's definitely not just looking at, okay, this is the most damage points you can get in the list and going from there. It's more just, it gets you an idea when you're list building of like, oh, this thing looks like it's good, but does it actually do any damage? Yeah. No, that's fair. So, so that was the age of simulator. Sig- yeah. yeah, yeah. My, my, my crooked old mouth can't pronounce yeah, I mean, it. Yeah, I thought it was a cool pun until you ever had to say it out loud. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So, so, but you've moved beyond that now, and there are all mm-hmm. sorts of different things that um <laughs> have started to drip through Twitter and through our WhatsApp chats and whatnot. That, that to me, I, I think, I think it looks it graphically it looks uh like yeah <laughs> like there's this this scatters this colors this dots um and then there's a load of words that go with it that sound like yeah they sound quite quite smart but <laughs> to, my, to my brain <laughs> i mean i still just look at a model and think oh i like that model i'm gonna play with that or, I, think, oh, no, I, I, I like this army that's I, I, definitely I, I, part of what we're trying to support here. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's what that's what I mean. But you've you've gone beyond the age of simulator, but then mm-hmm. you've also gone beyond the traditional rankings and things. Mm-hmm. And what I might do, because I don't want to sound like an absolute fucking numpty, is I'll, <laughs> I'll maybe pass over to Nathan, who understands it a little bit more, so that he can <laughs> interrogate it uh, intelligently while I just sit back and drink beer and listen. So, so there you go. Maybe over to you, Nathan. So what what do you want to know about in particular then? Like what what sort of things interest you the most about the whole stats? Well, I mean there there are two things to me. I think um, the ranking side of it is interesting because the way that scores um, uh, it's a non traditional way of of, of uh, establishing the scores from a given tournament. But then there are other things where you're looking at um, you're looking at the performance of given armies. But then you're also um, sort of acknowledging players who've used off meta armies and there are there are figures that have come out so rather than me ask the questions i suppose Mm -hmm. it's best to to just describe it in general for the people who know absolutely nothing about it because i think that beyond our small community and a few people on twitter and whatnot it's probably totally new to some people so it might be just best to just describe it from from the uh, just treat me as though i'm the ignorant numpty and talk to me as though i'm daft and then all those people who've never heard of it will will understand it even better than me easy please yeah well i think you hit the two main things i've been looking at which was the ranking system and then looking at you know how the factions uh interact with the players who are playing them um because i think some of the basically some of the stuff i was like there are things that i think lots you know, every war gamer knows intuitively. And I was like, but we don't necessarily have the stats to put them up and I want them. And then part of, so the way I got started was with the ranking system where I was like, it feels 
hard to compare armies and events when with the current ranking system. So the current ranking system in sort of a nutshell is if there are 100 players at an event, the person who comes first gets 100 points, the person who comes last gets one point, and then it's, you know, the person who comes second gets 99, the person who comes third gets 98, and you just, it's an equal increment for each position you come in. But what that means is you need to pick some number of players that you count as worth 100 points, and if you play an event that's half that size, you only get 50 points for winning it. And so the sort of the issue with that when I was looking at it is like I was looking at my UK rankings and for a while my highest scoring event was when I came 25th at Bobo, which has you know 220 players compared to coming first at you know events that have been much more difficult to, to play. Sort of at Bobo, I was playing Grizzlegore. I had four games where I won because my army was broken and one game I should have won, but where I got outplayed by my opponent. And that was my highest scoring event. And so I was like, I want to figure out a way to compare, like, that it's harder to win at, uh, to, in my mind, harder to come first at a 50-player event than it is to, say, come 10th or 15th at a 100-person event. So the sort of insight that I had was that the distribution of wins uh, at an event follows the bell curve. There's a very small amount of people who will go 5-0 or 0-5, and then for every other bracket of scoring, it goes up. There's lots and lots of ways to go 3-2. You know, the, the example I gave in the WhatsApp group was, you know, the only way to go 5-0 is to win all five of your games. To go 3-2, you can lose your first and your second game, you can lose your first and your third, you can lose your last two. You know, there, there's a bunch of different ways to do that, and they'll all end you up in sort of the big fat part of the bell curve and, you know, at some sort of mid-table rankings so basically there's just instead of saying where do you finish on this straight line from one to a hundred with equal increments for each position i just say where do you finish on this bell curve where the gaps get you know you get uh, it's more difficult you basically take the probability of landing at that spot that's the math part you take the probability of being high up or low down or wherever you are on the bell curve and that basically works out that because there are so many less people at the short end of the bell curve that you get more points for that and not and less points in the middle. And that will naturally, because of the math, adapt to different size um, events. And so basically it just meant that, yeah, if you do win a 40 person event, you're going to get, you know, 95 points. And if you win a 100 person event, you're going to get like 98 points. You're going to get more points, but not that many more. Because the reality is if you if when you get an event of a certain size, you're, if you're getting to fifth place, you're playing against some, you know, some subset of the hardest people at the event for your game five. And that's true if you're at a 200-person event at Bobo or a 40-person event at Scotland. As you get to the top, you're reaching this same percentile of people that you're playing against. Yeah, because you can, so, you, can, you can certainly have look out and get an easy run and dodge the big guns at exactly. a bigger event, can't you? Because, I mean, when, exactly. I went, when I went to Bobo last year as well, I went 4-1 with an army that I had no right to go 4-1, really. And <laughs> I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have gone 4-1 if it was in a, a smaller field where you get tested properly. But I managed to to dodge anything crazy. And, and yeah, um, in a... Yeah, in a forty-man event, by game three or four, you're starting to play against those those exactly. players that are and, at the top end. And there's a balancing effect for both, because also at a bigger event, there are going to be sort of more top players. So it you know those two things basically balance each other out. As you say, like 
if you were playing at a four person event where the other three people were all way better than you, that would be really hard because you have to play all of them. But if you were at a huge event, you might not. But at the same time, a huge event is probably going to have more of those players. So it's basically just it's not it's not saying like, look, these these huge events aren't aren't as good or anything. It's just that they're both they're both valid. So you need so you want you want to be able to compare like for like and say, look, you went and won this 40 person event. And that that was harder than, as I say, what I did at Bobo as well, where I lost the one the one like challenging game I had. I lost. Um, and so it should be recognized that that was I shouldn't get more points for that than an event where I won five games and my last two were actually really hard. So, yeah, basically, by changing that straight line scoring that we used to use to this bell curve scoring, you can more easily compare events of, um, of different sizes. So so you've applied applied that and you've been applying that to, to recent events. I don't know if you've been going back through the, the bad dice rankings and 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 taking the data and populating it for the whole of the UK or if it's just for the northern rankings you're really doing it? What, um what? it's it, it's for both. And the reason I've done it for the bad dice rankings is because that's it's the it's that scoring on a bell curve that I use for doing a lot of the analysis uh, for factions. And so it basically converts all my data into sort of comparable data to itself. Because basically, there's sort of, there's also, you can, you can either look at where armies are placing at events, in which case, if you use the old ranking system, it becomes difficult because you don't want to say Slanesh is weaker because it just happened to have been played at slightly smaller events. So, you know, normalizing for event size has made that easier to look at the other stats. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other, the other one that people look at is win rate. Um, which uh, is, you know, also a useful stat, but not really what I wanted to use for mine because winning, because of the Swiss pairing system everybody uses for tournaments or normally uses for tournaments, win rate doesn't really make the same sense that it would in other ones because winning your first game is not the same as winning your fifth game. Where, no. So because your game five, you're playing against someone who's been as well like matched against you for that event as as you're going to get, whereas game one is random. So you don't want to say, okay, you know, two armies could have a 60% win rate, but maybe one of them always loses game one and two, and then sort of submarines through the, um, through, you know, the day, the last three games, and someone else maybe goes 3-0 and loses their last two. And those aren't sort of the same. You don't want to just compare those like for like. Um, so again, I just wanted to use this new scoring system that, wouldn't that takes into account event size without having to just use win rate and that way i'd have more data more comparable data for looking at all the other stuff yeah no that that, that makes sense and so then what what have you been pulling out because when you do see um uh stats tables showing which are the best armies mm-hmm. as you say traditionally it's been well uh legion of night is on 67 percent win rate and all that is is uh if, if a, an army goes 4-1 uh, and yeah. it's only played at 1, it's an 80% win rate. Yeah. Whereas if it's used at uh, 300 events and on average it goes 2-3 because of the variety of different people who are playing it, um, it's going to be somewhere between 20 and... Yeah, uh, and yeah, forty and and sixty percent say. So so that is quite crude, as you say, because it's just based upon. Um, yeah, where you finish and what well it's just based upon the number of wins yeah so uh, what 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 have you taken from it then and what's the sort of information that's starting to rise 
Um, so one of the things I looked at first was, um, again, a thing I think that lots of people are always asking about is the, you know, how much are the, is the player, are players contributing to the yeah. win rates of armies? That's, that's sort of a big question that everyone's always asked about. Like, if all the top players are always gravitating towards what the top list is, then how does that skew the overall faction rating? Yeah, like imagine. like if if Darren if if um if uh Jack Armstrong decided tomorrow rather than dig his Seraphon out, he, he really really loved Stormcast. Yeah, and he wasn't going to play anything else except for Stormcast. Um, and and it was just his his data coming through. I mean, surely, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. It's like, you, what does the good player, what what does the the player skills do to those those results? Exactly. And you found a way, have you then, to to drill into that? Yeah, well, one of the first things I did was I basically tried to find the average change that players got from playing any given faction. So I'd say, okay, you're Stu, and you average 70 points at, at your events, right? And that, that's, but now Zinch has come out, and you've picked up Zinch, and now you're averaging 80 points per event. So I'd say, okay, well, for this one player, for Stu, I'm going to put a plus 10 down for Zinch. And then I'll do that for all the players who are playing Zinch and get one number for the average change by swapping by that player's gotten to by swapping to that faction. Okay. And so that basically is intended to somewhat neutralize um I'll talk about some issues with it, some neutralize that effect of who's playing it because you might say, okay, look, um what the graph I posted with Slanesh was Slanesh was the best performing army in the game. And then they announced um, that they were going to be nerfing Slanesh in the next, you know, um, the December FAQ or whatever. And immediately, even before the nerfs actually came in, you see the graph of the Slanesh performance starts to drop pretty drastically. Um, but the change, the average change in points that people are getting from playing Slanesh still stays the same. So basically, what could sort of think that represents is um, that top players move away from Slanesh, but people who are playing Slanesh because they really like Slanesh and who were getting, say, a 10-point advantage over their other events, regardless of, you know, maybe they were going 2-3 or 3-2, but they're now going, you know, they're now finishing 15th instead of 17th on average or something like that, that they're still getting that bonus. Slanesh is still strong enough, and also they've been probably been practicing more over time. Um, Slanesh is still strong enough to be improving their games because it's a powerful army with powerful rules. But overall, as a faction, you're going to see it drop because the Jack Armstrongs, you know, James Tinsdale, people who were playing Slanesh have moved away to something else. And it's not just like it's not just people don't move away from the army just because it's getting nerfed. But a lot of the time, I mean, actually, from looking at the data, people tend to just play the same faction for two or three events and then swap because that's just it is, we, you know, it is a hobby based hobby based game so yeah so so i mean you must have like masses and masses of spreadsheets with all this information why don't you get have you i mean have you got that data at hand or yeah I mean, well, ba- can you pick on someone like scott and because he's not here <laughs> and, and tell drill into the stats and, and in, interpret it like um mystic meg um i mean yeah technically i have I, I, <laughs> I uh, have a variety of uh, of little little databases that I pick away at, but like uh, like I think a, 
cool one to look at is when you look at um, the meta breakers, right? Oh, yeah. Basically, it's the reverse of what I just said. So for that, I tried to say, okay, for each faction, um, how much does it boost up, boost or detract from a player's score? And I also did the reverse, basically. So I said, for each player, how much are they performing better or worse than the factions they play? So if you are a player who's always winning events and you're always playing the best army, you're going to be, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, obviously, but like you're going to get low meta breaker scores because you're performing, you know, closer to the, your faction's average because the faction is doing well. And so that's where, you know, right now we've got Rick Myhill, who's played a lot of Mixed Chaos and Slaves to Darkness, and it, it just was doing way better than everybody else was while he was playing it. And, you know, closer to home, we've got second in the Mega Breakers rankers, John Craig, who played Devoted of Sigmar three events in a row when literally, or two events in a row, when no one played Devoted of Sigmar, and he came second at a 44-person event, and he came fifth out of a 32-person event. So, like, he was achieving, he was going 4-1, basically, with these with this army that was just way, 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 way worse. He was just outperforming the faction average by so much. And I yeah. think that's kind of a, it's kind of a cool thing to recognize, basically, because it's, you know, I don't think it's any, it's not in any way more valid than any other ranking system, but it's just a cool thing to see that and recognize that there are these players who um, are playing, you know, just whatever they want and still doing really well. You know, they're not doing as well as the people who are also picking the best armies, because a lot of the time, you know, we'll get into later about faction performance and player performance being, you know, being separate. But if you're in game five and you're like, I'm a top tier player and I'm playing Nighthorn and my opponent's a top tier player and they're playing Fire Slayers, that's going to be hard because you're, if you're evenly matched on skills and they've got an army that's stronger than yours, it's going to be a hard game. It's not that you can't win, but it's going to be a hard game to win. So I think it's cool just keeping, keeping track of these players who are just playing what they want and still doing really well. Yeah, that sounds good. That sounds like it is something that should be rewarded. We should have a prize. Yeah, well, I was, whoever the top I, is. If if I can um, sort my life out enough, I do want to run like a little like a little masters event or something for the top sixteen of those meta breakers, and then you know have whatever prizes associated with that. Because uh, one of the reasons I got into looking at the stats and stuff is there was when Zinch came out, um, there was a lot of doom and gloom on Twitter um, about you know the way that the game's changing. And it, there is, like, the game, armies in the game are getting more powerful. There's no doubt about that. And some, there are combos and stuff that are explosive and can sort of end the game on a turn two priority or something like that. And whether or not you want to talk about whether you could have played around it, it still it feels bad to have your game, even if you were going to lose anyways, to have your game be over on turn two on a 50-50 rather than on turn four. So I was, I basically wanted to just inject a little bit more positive vibes into the scene by recognizing players like this who are just who are you know who are out there doing it yeah so go on give us give us some of the names who, who are the top five the top five so who have we got we got so number one we got rick myhill who's played slaves to darkness apparently his best uh meta breaking faction the number two we got our boy john craig with his devoted of sigmar third we've got uh richie mccallie who um i don't know if that's how you pronounce his last name sorry richie um Nice. And who, with his uh, glimpse by Gist results. And he's another player who's also in the, you know, just the overall bad dice rankings. He's a top player. He's some, you know, he plays Zinch. And he also did really well when he played glimpse by Gist. which played you know, Sylvaneth before that as well, really well. Yeah, exactly. And we've got, um, I think, 
Laurie is somewhere up here as well with uh, Sylvaneth. Yeah, and then we've got Terry Pye, who literally just American. won a two-day yeah. event with his Nurgle. We've got Carl Breakspear with his Nighthorn. He's been playing Nighthorn recently and popping off. And uh, and we've got Darren Watson, who's played a variety of different armies, but is also you know reasonably well known for you know picking off the off the wall stuff. And uh, honorable mentions for people I'm close friends. We got Gary, who's you know a KO known KO name in the scene, and even Mike Mike Callahan, who uh, just plays plays Stormcast because he loves it. And you know again, he might not be podiuming every single event because Stormcast have you know multiple bad matchups right now. But it's cool to see him up here and be like, yeah, look, you're like consistently outperforming your faction by playing well. So, yeah, no, that's really interesting. So, so what else can you pull out then? What else have you been? Has it been showing you? Because you're looking here at the player and rewarding and acknowledging the the player's performance and skill. Does it does it give you any more insight that's better into the factions? Could you could you give the, yeah. the top five factions at the moment, regardless sure. of the player skill, I mm-hmm. suppose? Yeah, because I think that's still super useful to look at. Because one, it gives you an insight into what you need to be building your army to be. Um, yeah. And I think right now, me and me and Nathan have talked about it a lot for team building for Six Nations. But yeah, I think the S tier armies right now that are sort of statistically significantly better than everything else are Idenet Deepkin, Osiark Bone Reapers, Fire Slayers, and Zeech. And they're just they're just that far ahead. Um, but the uh, it's cool because at the same time last year when I was comparing the fall of the old world stats, um, the spread is getting much more even. So like there used to be you know just these S tier unassailable S tier armies and then a lot of way worse armies. And as we've seen Games Workshop releasing new battle terms for these books, that spread is just looking a lot more even. It's sort of there's you know four S tier armies and then six A tier armies and six B tier armies and sort of it's a more even spread down the thing down the down the ladder which which is good um so so for those people that are that aren't a hundred percent on how they're tiered is that a, is that tiering yeah. based upon for performance or is that just a, a subjective analysis by somebody uh, who's... no sorry yeah that's that's based on uh army performance over um i think it's like the last six months or something since since the slan actioner came out Okay. Um, so it's yeah, it's based on performance. It actually lines up uh, pretty well with what I think most people would say subjectively. You know, most people, most people would have picked those out anyway. There's nothing surprising. Uh, like there's obviously a rate of decay over like performance and stuff like that that's quite hard to take into account. Yeah, like when people stop playing a faction that has a close to seventy percent win rate, um, it takes a while for that to to come back down yeah. or to settle. If people yeah, just stop definitely. playing it, so yeah, it's like um, it's one of the problems with some of the stats that we've had course, yeah. previously because like when it just falls off a cliff, do they still have that win rate? Like it yeah. kind of creates this problem where you need to refresh the stats every like sort of balance patch, which yep. then doesn't take into account new releases as well. Of course, yeah, and and I think you definitely like Daughters of Cain is a classic one for that mm-hmm. where they will people just don't play them. And but then, they still win events now, yeah, so they are exactly. still technically good if somebody... They're, they're, they're very good, but it just... And I think a big thing that's always super important to consider with any of these stats is that there's a lot of conflating factors in Age of Sigmar, because it's not like other competitive games. Like, if you look at Hearthstone or Magic the Gathering or something, like, people, if they're going to a tournament, 
they're growing because they want to compete. So they're going to bring most of the people there are all going to be bringing the same list. And they're going to turn up and they're going to see who plays them the best or who gets luckiest or whatever and wins. Whereas Warhammer tournaments are, for a lot of people, and you know, partially or totally or whatever, you're going because it's social experience. You're like, well, I, I can either just keep playing Age of Sigmar against my mate who lives across the street, you know, and we only have one army each and he always wins. Or I can go to an event, it's a big social party, and I play five games at Age of Sigmar. So you're, when you sit there and you build your mixed death list, you're not doing that because you're like, this is the list that I think is going to win the tournament. You're going because you're like, this is fun. I want to win games with it. I've made this army that I like. I've made a good list that I made. But you're, you're, not, you're not going. Not everyone is going to the tournament with the same goals. So that when you, when you do try and extricate things like player skill from faction power, it's, it's never going to be a totally fair comparison because sometimes someone's just going to stop playing Daughters of Cain, even though they were winning with them loads, because they just... They, they want yeah, to play something else. Yeah. yeah, exactly. They might want a new challenge, or they might. Yeah. They might just yeah they've just finished their other hobby project as you exactly. Self police yeah. because they don't like the sort of impact that it's having, which I think is a big thing with uh, yeah. with the Zinch. Yeah. I think a lot of people did drop it after all the negativity, like being part of the Disciples of Zinch WhatsApp chat itself. Yeah. There was quite a few people that were really concerned about picking up the army who may not be competitive people. So mm-hmm. I think that there was a lot of social uh, policing going on. It's a bit, like a bit of a stigma sometimes, isn't there? Yeah, when definitely. People think that you're, you're picking an army just because you you want to win at all costs or whatever. So well, but also, probably leads me on to the point I want JP to mm-hmm. maybe focus on a little bit, though, where a lot of people up until this point, probably myself included until a while ago, would try and guess who's going to win based on the army. So you would look at the army stats and uh, this army is going to beat that army. It's this mission. It's probably going to happen. But what you've been able to kind of find through a couple of experiments is that more often than not, it's more, it's better to kind of pick who's going to win based on their previous performance, ignoring the faction that they're playing completely. It's more accurate. So if you only take into account faction and then you only take into account player performance like historic performance normally the historic performance is going to give you a better representation of who wins that matchup than uh, the the two armies facing off against one another which i think's really important for people to really get their head around because it is really toxic when you're sitting there blaming an army uh, for like the problems in the game where you could uh, maybe learn a thing or two by <laughs> analyzing why the army is yeah. doing so well and trying to to play around it because people have shown you that it doesn't really matter. Um, like I just I think that it's always going to be the the player that's going to edge out the game, not the army. No, absolutely. Unless absolutely. Skill. Yeah, and even even I think. Even like, if it's equal skill, luck is a massive yeah, factor. It's a dice game, and there's form. You know, me and you, Nathan, played. I was playing Change House. You were playing More Tribes. Like, that's a matchup. That, and that was before the nerf, even, for Zinch. And mm-hmm. I I just made a bunch of mistakes. And I, and I lost. And that's, it's like, and that's, that's you know, you and by you playing the correct game plan, you, you, you know, it's that play to your outs. And one of your outs is maybe your opponent makes this mistake. Maybe you win every single priority roll. Maybe you make three 12-inch charges in the same turn. So I think, again, and I want to, it's not to say that there aren't different levels of faction. 
you know, that, that all the factions are the same and that you're going to do just as well playing mixed death as you would play in changes. That's yeah. not that's not the point that I'm trying to make, but it's absolutely true that there are these players, you know, Ben Sava beat Changehos twice and he won. So in, he, in, in his prime with Bone Splitters, not a great faction. Joel McGrath, I think, just beat one or two Changehos with Beast of Chaos, you know, just playing Bestigoys and Ungors. And there is, you know, you practice a list a lot. You, you get to know it inside out and you play against someone who has just picked up Zine. You know, and again, nothing wrong with like, I think there can be negative connotations with it, but who's just picked up Zinch because it's cool and it's supposed to be really powerful and they want to play something really powerful. And so they pick it up. You can beat them. Like there are very few unwinnable games of Age of Sigmar. And I think this data does just really show it. I mean, you summed it up, but it's basically, if you want to predict how well someone's going to do at an event, you look at how well they did at previous events and that's going to be a much better indicator than um what faction they're playing when i looked at um what was the event at the element games grand slam i took i didn't have any faction data so i didn't know what factions people were playing and i just plugged all the player past performances into my machine and spit out predictions for all the round one and i also did it for round five um and so it was the predictions were 70 percent accurate for round one and a little bit above 60 percent accurate for round five and yeah, you know, that makes sense, as we were saying. In round five, you're getting... You know, more evenly matched. Yeah, more evenly matched. And at that point, also things like battle plans and uh, faction matchups are going to come into it, and you can't take those into account. But basically, it's... And I think this is what I was saying with just things that sort of every gamer knows, is if you get put up into... If you're going to look at two players and say, who am I betting on? You're If you know one of them is like, you know, this guy, he's going out, he's Jack Armstrong, he's winning a million events in a row, then you're going to bet on him. You, you don't sort of need to know that what faction he's playing to be confident in that. And the other thing is that list building is part of the game as well. So if, if you took all the, you know, this is an experiment that you sort of, I wish we could do, but if we took all the top 16 players from Bad Dice and we were like, for the next year, you're only allowed to play armies who are below average performing. They're going to come out with good lists, you know, good lists for those factions and do well with them. And then we could really get a faction tier list. You know, if we said, look, we've had all, you know, we've normalized for player skill. Fortunately, we can't get that. But it's playing, if you're playing a weak faction, that doesn't mean you have to play a weak list. You know, factions will have, you know, good units or a couple tricks here and there. And, you know, Stu's playing mixed death and he's got Neferata in there who's giving out, you know, a bubble of minus two to hit and like, there are these things you can still do in those factions. And so it's not that your list doesn't matter, but that Some there are... Some factions are really good that still don't get play because, mm-hmm. like, I've said, we had this conversation. I was like, well, it's almost like those armies are not sexy or something. Like, they're <laughs> yeah, just yeah, not yeah. attractive. Like, they mm-hmm. don't have the kind of... They're not new. They're not shiny. They're not getting talked about. And, uh, like, I think the biggest example of that is John Craig last year with that... Um, that army that he played with the flagellants like yeah, that was, was that was a legitimately good army but because it was old models mm-hmm. and they were kind of clunky models and you didn't see anybody else playing it doesn't mean it wasn't good that was a legitimately good yeah. army especially for the time with all the bonus damage to chaos and demons and stuff like that mm-hmm. with slanesh being on the rise a decent shooting like yeah. that that was a good meta call to play that army and it, it's not that that faction 
was bad. It was just underrepresented. So no, no, absolutely. That's why I think that if people want to improve at the game, and gamers always talk about um, like doing what you can, like what with what yeah. you can control. The biggest improvement is going to be playing better, not picking yeah. a better army. So exactly. It's just up until this point, and with the stats that are currently punted about and stuff like that, it is. It's almost dishonest. I know that's not a jab at the honest wargamer or whatever for p- putting up the uh, stats of the the armies, but talking about for somebody to improve their game performance the most by taking an army that's rated well is not going to have as big an impact on your ability to to win games as just learning to play the game better. Yeah, and it will save you a lot of money as well instead of having to well, chase the I, meta every couple of months. I think this is a big thing. This is, you know, Phil Phil told me this. He was like, you know, I think there was some event and I was like, oh, I don't know. Maybe I want to actually just go out and buy Daughters of Cain. Well, you know, back when they were like one of the best armies. And it was one of those things where he was like, look, if you go buy Daughters of Cain and you go to the event and you go 5-0 and you win it, you're going to be, you know, you're going to be pleased. You're going to be like, that was worth it. You know, I got a cool army. I won. But if you go, you spend 300 pounds on a new army, you paint it up in two days, which isn't fun. Your models don't look good. And then you go to the event and you just lose your last game. You go 4-1 and you finish third. Or if you normally go 2-3, you instead go 1-4. You know, If you don't do as well as you hoped you did, then you're like, well, now I've spent 300 pounds and I didn't even win. Whereas yeah. if you pick an army where you're like, look, I really like these models. And so I'm going to make sort of a good list around these models. And you play it, you're gonna be you're gonna be in a better mood to, on on the get go. You can focus on improving, and you're gonna just have a better time, and you're gonna be in a better mood, and that's gonna help you win more, and it's gonna make you want to practice the list more. Whereas if you just play it to win and you don't win, you've got nothing else going for you. Yeah, no, that's that's sound sound advice, and I think a lot of people we say that to to new starters as well is yeah, um, you really do encourage them to play. Uh, stick with the same same army at least and if possible stick with the same list for two yeah. events because You'll learn. If, you, if, if you if you play a five game a five game <laughs> event and then you go to a five game event a month later with exactly the same list <coughs> i i almost guarantee you'll win an extra game yeah, yeah because, no, because you've you've made the mistakes once you know you know the strengths you know the combo you know what works well and you're always going to improve if you do that and that's why some people who stick uh doggedly with a certain one like um people with uh dispossessed or something where they play mm-hmm. them uh in and out and the, like you say the meta breakers are the yeah. people who really do stick with um yeah. what they love and and if you stick with that same list for two two events and then if it needs a change you tweak one or two elements of it mm-hmm. but you keep the core the same um yeah. you're always going to do a lot better than than just throwing the toys out the pram and buying a new army because you feel that you have to have the the top tier thing to compete um but people who are just coming into it and who are sitting there saying i really love this game i've had a few um Mm -hmm. practice games in in the store um and i think i'd like to start going to tournaments i don't know Mm -hmm. what i want to play yet then there's no harm in them looking at it and and picking something from s or oh yeah yeah no definitely i'm not saying don't Look, no, don't no. don't follow the meta don't um copy lists or whatever like definitely look at lists and copy elements of them or like even even copy the list but understand why those top tier players have made those choices like why are they taking 
a unit of this size? Like, what are they thinking about in order to, like, hold objectives with this army? Like, what are they trying to stop? What are they trying to counter? Because that information is much more useful than just having the units and knowing what their war scrolls do. Yeah. You've got yeah. you've got to know why. Like at, at the moment, I'm kind of pu- pushing around or like a list for the new Chaos Legion Ascendant, and it's not it's not like a, an on meta like super competitive army, but it's looking at the things that other armies are doing and trying to stop them doing it. And it, I'm having a lot of fun just even building the list and thinking <laughs> about building the army, just trying to think up all the different little sort of synergies and things you can do to like stop people playing the way that they want to play. Also, yeah, I think a good point about that list as well, and I said this to you, is like the, the prize you win when you win a Warhammer tournament, you know, you don't, you don't win any money or anything like that. So, and a phenomenon you'll see a lot is if someone wins a tournament, a big tournament with Zinch, what people are going to ask is they're going to be like, what was the Zinch list? I want to know what that Zinch list that, was, that one was so that I can prove my list. Whereas if you take this Chaos Legion Ascendant, thing with you know vermin lord and whatever else and all this whole and you win an event with that people are going to know people are going to be like yo that was nathan who took that crazy list you know people know darren watson for his crazy list stuff like that people know terry pike for his nurgle so if you think about that really what you're winning from these warhammer tournaments is essentially kudos from your fellow war gamers you're there's it's a lot easier to get that kudos by not playing the thing that everybody expects to win the event or the, or the you know podium at the event you don't have to win it or to do whatever you know like, people remember these players who do well with off-meta off stuff. Because, you know, it's an underdog story. People love that. And so I think if you, again, if, you, if you're thinking about what you want to play, if you, just, if you pick the list that is the best-performing list and you come top five with it, no, no one's going yeah, no, no to blink at it. And you're going to expect it, too. You're going to be sitting there going, ah, oh, I don't feel that good about coming third, which is maybe still a really good result or wherever you finish, but I don't feel that good because I took this meta-breaking list and everybody said it was meta-breaking. Uh, sorry, I took this meta-chasing list and everybody told me I was chasing the meta and stuff like that. And you won't feel as good as if you win or do you know get a new personal best with a, a list you came up with yourself or a cool thing that no one's seen. Like triple Mortax. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. <laughs> like, triple Mortax is a perfect yeah. example of it. Like, yeah. that was a, it's not a bad list. And no, you, nobody you know your outs. Nobody's played against it. You've played with it a lot. Like that's a perfect example of someone cultivating something themselves from their own play experience and utilizing the models that they have and also a narrative that they want to play. Like, how much fun did you have pushing about your triple mortarks because you love your mortarks? Yeah, that's more point. important than just um, unless it means so much to you. <laughs> like, yeah. there's there's nothing that's going to do better for you than getting tons and tons and tons of practice and. Mm-hmm playing something yeah. that's cut edge tier S. That's going to give you the best chance ever of winning an event. But more often than not, if you're chasing that meta, you're you going to be painting your army. Yeah, you're going to be yeah. getting it all ready in time. Mm-hmm. So so a couple of questions then. Um, you mentioned earlier the uh, the way that your analysis works is that you, you might have a plus 10 based mm-hmm. on um, using a specific list. Sure. Look, looking at the S tier, A tier, whatever, the mm-hmm. the ones that perform the best, does that that does that bonus equate basically then to the S tier armies? Yeah. Are the ones yeah. that you get the big so so which are the ones that people at the moment from looking at your data have got the biggest bonus from playing? 
the single biggest bonus by far is Big Wah, um, okay. which is, again, this is sort of where the data gets tricky, but it's basically most of the, what I think it is, is lots of people had Iron Jaws. Right? Yeah. Or bones they love their army, so they would play it all the time at events. The Big Wah come, book comes out. It's really good. And a lot of people who are still playing the models that they love are now doing a lot better. So I think that's that's one of the best ones. And then two, the two underneath it were, and this was a while ago, I think this was just at the beginning of the year that I looked at it, were uh, Daughters of Cain and uh, the Grand Host of Nagash. Um, okay. So if we, like, Flesh Eater Courts and Skate, so uh, Daughters of Cain, uh, I've opened it up, was a 14, and Grand Host of Nagash was an 11. So plus 14 and plus 11 over your average event. And then we had Slanesh, which was a plus 10. And then we had Flesh Eater Quartz and Skaven, which were both on plus five. So it's sort of interesting to see that, like, although those were all S-tier armies in their primes, they did, they actually had a different sort of power level shift effect, if you want to look at that. So, like, like Ossiarch Bone Reapers, great army overall, but it's actually, only, it's got a plus one, you know, okay. even though it's an S-tier army. And now, th again, this was a while ago, so it may have picked up a little bit since then, but it was basically just like a lot of people playing OBR. We're still just we're just doing as well as they were before. So the reason it's doing well is a lot of good players have switched to playing OBR, and yeah. you know it's not particularly making them perform way better. And a lot of that is because also we have a there's a sort of low if you look at it that way ceiling for how well you can do in AOS. If you're a top tier player who normally goes four one or five zero and finishes in the top five. There isn't really any army that will ever come out that'll boost your stats. You know, there, you're not, you're not, it's that we don't have a sort of ELO system. Jack Armstrong doesn't repetitively play against James Tinsdale to see who's better. So you, if you're a player who regularly wins events, you can't do better than that. So yeah. it, it sort of puts an upper ceiling on these things. And a lot of the movement we're going to see is from the middle, the middle tiers of uh, the mid tables, basically. Mm -hmm. So, so that that that's really interesting as well, and and I think that that analysis by saying that a new book's come out. So, what previous? I, I suppose Cities of Sigmar would be another one if somebody had been playing Empire habitually, exactly, um, and not doing too well with it, and they they loved the Demigriff Knights, but they mm. were always doing shit, and then suddenly the Hallow Heart or whatever, and and the they've upped the game. Mm. That's the sort of thing that I'd see a a good a good boost. So now that that makes sense then. So, and then the other thing I was going to ask uh, escapes me now, I suppose. But say somebody does um, decide that they're going to start playing in tournaments um, and they don't want to be absolute filth. So they're, mm -hmm. they're going to maybe dodge the S tier stuff. What's in the A? What, what's what's in the next category down then? Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, I can imagine there will be. Yeah. Well, the, the classic one that we're seeing all over the place is war clans and more tribes. Right. Those, those are armies that people have played for a long time, sort of traditionally like one of the armies that people look at as like a fun army you know they used to not have very good rules and they just potter around in the mid tables and now with their new books they're way stronger like four stone horns is like a for reals list now that yeah. is going to run around and smash some faces in daughters of cain are there in the a tier skaven even the new ko books in the a tier um i think a lot of it also is going to depend on list building i think one of the reasons like deepkin has like over time it's arguably the best faction that we've seen in aos in terms of like long-term performance 
And I think one of the reasons is they don't have that many units. So you're, you're, you're sort of, if you want a competitive list, you're going to gravitate towards yields, which is the competitive list. And so you're going to get sort of a, if you look at something like Skaven, on the other hand, which has like the most war scrolls in Aos, you're going to get a much wider distribution of lists. You know, you saw it when the, when the Skaven book first came out, that there were some people just absolutely running away with events. And then there was also Skaven, they sort of scattered it. I think that's, that's probably why they don't have as much of a, like a, a plus factor. Exactly. They're easy to obtain armies, but mm-hmm. easy to misfire with. Like, yeah. It's uh, like both them and Flesh Eater Quartz, I think, are quite... Yeah. Like Flesh Eater Quartz was relatively fragile. And if you mm. misfired with it, that was it. It was over. You'd lost all your toys. And then mm. Skaven's the exact same, but in the list building stage, rather than just like playing with the toys when you get them on the table. Uh-huh. No, definitely. So there's a, there's a lot of sort of... And I think this is, again, it's important when you're looking at any of the stats. It's one view on the data, but... There's a lot of behind-the-scenes conflating factors. You know, there, we, we don't have a way of saying, okay, only look... Oh, we may soon, people are getting more of this data, but only look at this exact one list for Daughters of Cain, and we're only going to look at the games that it was played against um, players of an equal caliber from across the world and have enough data to be significant and, you know, analyze it that way. There's always, you know, we don't... Players... Are going to play what they want and that's going to mess with the stats basically so the the next thing i suppose you you mentioned briefly earlier t- tell us about list bot tell us about the list bot <laughs> i love this so, list bot <laughs> yeah so i've done a variety of experiments with this bot so the the first thing i did was i basically just fed it straight text from all the lists i could get from tabletop to and so it would predict based on each literal, like a letter, like A, B, C, that it saw, what the next letter would be. And so it was sort of touched back and forth on actual units, but overall is pretty dubious. That's why you get the abhorrent ghoul king on Stonehorn, because it was like, I'm following through the letters, and it's like, after you've written on, most of the time you see Stonehorn. And so it didn't re- couldn't really connect them. And, and then also it made up, a bunch of words blade like the gators yeah the blade gators the griffs craters you know a variety, <laughs> a variety of things like that so that was fun I, I laughed a lot at that and i've sort of moved on from there and um i worked with a guy the guy who runs garrett maloney from best coast pairings um oh, yeah. he's a cool guy it's a cool app that they run but um is, yeah he gave me a bunch of list data and I was able to basically say, look, for, um, for for these events, if you can say, you say, okay, you took this list for Daughters of Cain, and this is how well you did, comparing your list to other lists from the same faction that have performed better than yours, what suggestions can, uh, can ListBot make for you? Um, and it was cool. Like, again, it's sort of, you know, it's not, not anything particularly groundbreaking, but it, it, it will progress. I, I, I posted on Twitter and I laughed at the one for one, a Deepkin list. Where it was Deepkin like, one was great. Yeah, it was like, maybe consider dropping your Reavers and your Soul Render and just add one, two, three units of eels. <laughs> so <laughs> there, there was that. But also, you know, it's, it said things like there was a KO list where it's like, why do, maybe you want to take a Warp Lightning Vortex in this. And I think a lot of it is, 
the way I view it is it's not going to, it's never going to be a tool that's going to sit there and say, I've come up with a list that no one else has thought of and now it's smashing the meta. That's not what it's for. But it, it maybe can be inspirational if you're like, look, I've been playing um, KO for a while and I want to sort of step up my list, but these are, but I still, you know, these are the models I own. That maybe it could be useful by sitting there and saying, okay, well, what about if you increase your unit of Arcanos from 10 to 20? And and you might be like, oh, actually, that's an idea that I'd like, you know. So so rather than rather than actually building lists, I did have it build my list before the old world where I just said, look, these are the units I own. Compare them to you to armies that people have played and that have units that have synergies between each other, and build me a list. And yeah, I ended up with. I I think you can see some of the links between it. Like I can see why there's an arch region and a terror geist. I can see why there's a vampire lord on zombie dragon and direwolves. But it was obviously just a mishmash. I'm sad I didn't get to run it out, though. You need to take it to Masters now. I, yeah, I mean, if I can... If get you can get to Masters. Masters. Yeah, yeah. So if all the events are cancelled, that's going to be a tough gig. Yeah. I think it's yeah. a really good uh, idea, though, and it's something I would like to see personally because it goes along the same lines of like what I keep saying. You need to look at your own list and your own play and if there's a tool that's accessible for people that they can plug their list into it and it's going to make suggestions like that's going to do a lot more for people improving at the game and feeling engaged with yeah. the game and constant improvement and stuff than just copying somebody else's list like because it's yeah. gonna it's gonna make you think well why is it suggesting that mm-hmm. i think it's yeah. quite cool i think i think that, that again like in terms of adding positive energy to the scene it's exactly that like if yeah. someone sees like okay this is my list but I don't want to just drop my whole list and swap to the best list, like the 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 what's seen as the best list. And instead, it might be like, look, just add this one unit, and they might be like, oh yeah, that's a cool idea. And if you don't even need, it doesn't need to be that unit, as you say. It just makes you start thinking about your list, mm-hmm. and then you know you can make whatever changes you want. So so listbot is this available to the public then? No, not yet. I don't. Not I, yet. I, if, it, it would be if I knew. You know, it's an experimental no-use stage. If I if I knew an easy way to expose it for people yeah. to use, I absolutely would. Because I I I was just laughing at work at pressing the button, and getting stuff like played played guides out. You know, so I'd would love for everybody to. You've even got it generating WhatsApp messages, haven't you? Oh yeah, I also that was took, funny. I, I trained it on all the data from the Scottish WhatsApp group and had it spinning out messages. And if you read them too closely, they didn't actually make sense. But there were a couple, when I prompted it, I was like, the thing about Zinch, I said, you know, I basically said, imagine the message starts with the thing about Zinch. You fill in the rest. And I was like, this, if I didn't read it too closely, this looks like a Facebook post complaining yeah. about Zinch. And that's an exclamation <laughs> marks. So they have the, spaces between uh, oh, the well, last letter and the no, question mark. That's, that's John Bayless's had to ban John Bayless from being used as data. He literally just does it to troll me, I'm convinced. It took me like two minutes just to figure out how to do it this morning when I typed, oh my God, into the chat. Like, I, can't, I physically can't even make the extra yeah. spaces. I don't know how he but does also, it. He puts spaces, he's like, it's when you double tap the space to get a full stop. And I was like, I guess that makes sense. Maybe he just presses it loads of times to be safe. But then today he just had spaces before his question marks. <laughs> what is wrong with him? Oh, it's funny how you get rage. I see something flash up and then I just know he's going to buy it. Okay, so so Lispot sounds good. I noticed that Lisp, that you'd posted something and I was in there as a unit. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, you were. 
I don't. You were you're up there. You're in you're in three percent of BCR lists to West. I don't. <laughs> I, I don't really know. I think because part of the issue is that the lists are not all submitted in the same format, right? So I do I do a bunch of filtering. So I'm like, because sometimes you just see it comes up and it's like, oh, the allegiance for this army is like Ossiarch Bone Reapers from the realm of Hish with a like narrative name attached. And so for a bunch of the stuff, I say, look, if you've only ever seen this one time, like this allegiance one time, just disregard it because it's probably a typo of some sort. But somehow, despite that, Stu West was seen in VCR list enough time to get in. 3%. And I've not played VCR. It's you just like... Never, oh, like... Wow, that makes even... I assume that just one day back in time you played VCR. No, no. Well, yeah, I used no, to play it in mixed, mixed description. Yeah. I used to play them, but yeah. Um, no, I never played it. Unless it's something to do with uh, like Northern Invasion and, and people submitting the lists. And oh, yeah. That, I wonder, yeah, maybe enough people have submitted lists that have said, like, Dear Stu West, here is my Allegiance Beast Claw Raiders list. <laughs> so I was thinking it might have come from the Orkney team event list document or something. Like, uh, yeah, that, that also could be it. Again, like, it ha- has a mind of its own. You know, I can't. That's okay. that you, you've, you've created artificial intelligence. <laughs> Coronavirus wasn't going to kill us all, then Lizbot well. probably would. Lizbot's going to realize. It's going to realize. You get your bot working towards the cure, JP. Utilize those resources. Yeah, better than taking Mount Trait, the great Remembaster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, so okay. So, you you mentioned Follow the Old World today. So, uh, am I getting from that that Phil won? No, he, he, he was said. on. He, was, he says he, it was, I mean, he was playing versus his KO list versus Lee's two Gaunt Summoners and loads of Flamers Zinch list, and they're on three places of power. So both okay. of them have like two five wound heroes, and both of them have loads of shooting. So just want to drop this in as well. We're all Team Scotland members, but that's four for four. Uh, Northern ranked events have been won by Team Scotland members. Galaxy Brain. But uh, such babes. <laughs> yeah, as I think Phil Phil said Phil lost both uh, both the priorities, which I think in the shooting matchups is especially damaging. Um, and Lee snuck it. Though Lee did hit him with the special I've already lost before the game started. <laughs> yeah, he does that. That's like yeah, that power up. He gets in the ad. You know, in Dragon Ball Z, when they go Super Saiyan, like if it was Lee, he would just be saying, "Yeah, I've already lost." Yeah, that's just him powering up. Yeah. <laughs> So, so have you plugged in the results into the the northern rankings yet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It gets automatically updated from tabletop to So, uh, so go on then. Give us the top ten. Uh, well, top ten. Wow, we don't have time for that. But uh, David really. Jack, David Jack is our new number one, our new king in the north. Oh. Um. So I'll I'll read the top eight are okay. all people who've played three events, so are fully qualified. Um, okay. And then we got Lee rank two, Phil's rank three after his. Performance. And then we've got our non-Scottish residents that we're sad about. Martin Swaffield. Um, and then Craig Graham at number five. James Chalmers, number six. And then there is no number seven. That seems like it's a mistake. Um, and then <laughs> Stu West. Stu West at number eight. Uh, what, 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 what's... This is no seven. I don't know why there's no seven. I'm, <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm, this is the first time I've noticed it. This is an interactive debugging session. What's the uh, URL for this now? Is it still AgeSimulator.com? Yeah, AgeSimulator. I need to get a better... Because I can't get to it. I go to AgeSimulator.com and it just takes me to... Yeah, you've got to go to AgeSimulator.com slash Metabreakers. Ah, uh, there we go. Yeah, it's super annoying. 
Um, I need to get a better website for it, if nothing else, because you can't pronounce Signalator. But like, I, I looked into buying the MetaBreakers website, and it was like thirty-seven hundred pounds. And I was like, wait, <laughs> wait. <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> uh, and then I just I haven't done anything about it, but I should because it's annoying having it behind various backslashes. Um, oh, damn, yeah, me and you, JP, we're currently not going to Masters. No, yeah, I know. <laughs> and you're one point ahead of me. That should, I'll just remove you like I did the number seven. <laughs> <laughs> that's John Bayless, number seven. You've deleted him. Oh, no, that's actually, yeah, that's actually true. Um, I probably should fix something about that. Yeah, John was John was like, I'm not interested in the rankings this year, so take me out. Because he he, he's our current master. Uh, so he's yeah. going to the masters already. So he was like, I'm just going to play cool lists and not care about it. Um, so I took him out, but I think that must mean he's at number seven, and my thing is just like, we won't show it. That's you know what, fair. You know what, this, rem- you know what this reminds to me be irrelevant. This, this reminds me of uh, FIFA in the late 90s when oh. they, they had um, everybody's names in the game except, except for Ronaldo, not the the more modern Ronaldo, the uh-huh. old one who used to play at uh, the Brazilian guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was always just number seven on them all. <laughs> he didn't have a name because they didn't have a license to use him because he was on Pro Pro Evo or something. So there you go, number seven is just number seven. Yeah, number seven. He who shall not be named. <laughs> I think that's uh, John Bayless's personal challenge. Not he needs to be included in the rankings, but it's up to him to make sure he drops out the top twenty. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, he, needs, he needs to employ the lit spot. Yeah. <laughs> Sadly, knowing John, he'll just sneak into rank one and just won't be on their website anymore. Yeah. Oh, man. No, that that's really interesting stuff though, JP. Thanks a lot for uh for telling us about that and for uh for developing this stuff. You've you've obviously got too much time on your hands. Yeah, I agreed. I mean, it's just it's it's fun, and I think again, it comes from like the stuff the the math and stuff that i'm doing is not particularly difficult or groundbreaking it's mainly just like just how i have a little bit of knowledge and just that curiosity you know i'm like well i want to know like how much is it the top players playing the top list and how much is it not you know so if if you were to tell me now what are the three most interesting things that have come up from everything that you've been uh tinkering with and learning ah um yeah so i think the the three coolest things i saw was one was the um the graph for slanesh where the faction performance dropped off but the people who were staying on the faction basically were doing just as well as they were before anyway and we saw that huge drop when the nerfs were announced so even before they'd come into the game basically just it was just the the big effect of top players moving away from an army damages its its sort of perceived performance by a lot um so i think that was that was a cool one. Um, I think uh, the second one was the graph of just how well correlated, almost perfectly correlated, um, you can uh, player performances with their past performance. So like that really your faction is going to play a part in your tournament results, but really how good you are as a player, you know, working on, as Nathan said, the best way you're going to improve is improving your skills, you know, get practice games in, you know, stay on the same list. Maybe you love switching lists, but like, you know, you you practicing your game, getting your game tight, that's going to see you benefits. You don't have to worry about what's what's meta right now. Again, if you're like, I'm going to the Masters and I know I've grabbed Jack Armstrong for game five, then yeah, you might want to pick, you know, one of the more cutting edge lists. But if you just want to improve as a player and still have a good time, just play what you like and play it well. And then 
Um, the third one was probably that we just discovered there is no number seven on <laughs> the website. <laughs> Blade guiders. <laughs> Blade guiders, yeah. <laughs> Close tie for Blade What guiders. about the, the highest performing Maw Tribes player, though, in the world? Uh, yeah, no. Like super surprising as well. It's just blanked out for me. <laughs> just it's just on the, on the old blacklist. Please tell yeah. us, More Tribes. Is that... Oh. Yeah, you, you're not even for my for my list. You're not even the top of for me. What? I'm the only person to five zero in the world with them. Oh, I see. Yeah, but you haven't played three events, so you don't I have haven't. any points. I've only played one event this year. Shocking. Yeah, yeah. Same. Because of coronavirus, not going to play anymore for a while as well. Yeah, I know. That's we all right. Playing tabletop simulator three hundred times a day until we That's ascend. It. I figured out how to play myself on tabletop simulator, so. So, so tell people about Tabletop Simulator. We probably shouldn't because it's. Uh, <laughs> I don't feel guilty about using it because of the amount of money that I've pumped into this, uh, but I'm not going to advertise it. Right. If people want to look into it themselves, they can definitely look into it, but I'm not going to do that to G-Dub. <laughs> no, fair enough. Fair enough. We'll not go there. All right. Well, well no, that was fun. That was exciting. And, you know, the best way to, to crawl up the rankings in these times of self-isolation is to just get some friends around for a corona party and have a four-player <laughs> tournament yeah um, exactly of no, course that, also equally valid is just win more priority roles yeah oh, yeah you can't separate the luck from the player skills so we need to track actually, that well i tried we tracked it at the masters and then scott refused to ever give me the numbers i'm like about you know like 17 and a half percent convinced that jack armstrong just doesn't lose priority roles <laughs> i personally have never lost a priority role um but no i mean i assume it would actually look much the same as the faction ones because again you imagine that when one of these top players rocks up to an event yeah okay maybe in game five versus in a bad matchup it's going to come down to a priority role but you know priority roles are probably on average just going 50 50 throughout the event and they're winning anyways suppose you know actually tagline would be that you can't you can get a bad matchup army versus army but the only way you're going to get a bad matchup player versus player is if you suck and they don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, like again, you can. You know, you know. I, I, I uh, take a note of who wins priority in every turn I play, and I've got it in a book that I've, I've kept now for years. But um, oh, really? And you know that. There. Yeah, yeah, a book, yeah. Um, and you know, when I did take triple Mortax out that that time where I played two events in two days, and uh-huh. I I played what six games, and it was five five wins and a draw. Uh, oh. I lost one priority roll in the, the whole, whole weekend. weekend. Yeah. yeah. So wow. there you go. There's some stats for you, JP. That's disrespectful to my characters, dude. Can we can we <laughs> cut this? Can we cut? This? Cut cut cut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm gonna you, edit it because you, i do you, that if you have a huge book of all the priority rules and the game results yeah yeah i do i, well, I need to I, feed that data into the list give it to me give it to yeah, me i have it for every, figure out what every, units make you most likely to win priority and you can build your list like that yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, no I do, I, I do like it i have a i have a thing where you know, it's who we've played against, what the scenario is, who wins priority on which turns, which spells I've tried to cast, which ones were successful. You can directly correlate whether or not I win a game to whether or not Curse of Years goes off as well. 
Dude, you're like the Rosetta Stone. In 400 years, list bot, list bot have evolved, and it'll it'll find my uh, my notebook and become sentient. It'll resurrect you. Yeah. So no, thanks for that. So I suppose, uh, well, have you got any any other uh, nuggets that you'd like to to get out? Uh, uh, I think I've covered most of the stuff. I got, uh, you know, I got some cool cool stuff that hopefully cool stuff in the uh, in the pipeline. I'm always looking for new things. Um, I had a sort of failed statistical experiment that I did love the results of, where I was looking at what units that basically no one picks are the best at improving a faction's win rate. So I was like, look, okay, no one takes an 18th gun hauler. How how does that affect chaotic win rate if you do take it? And the top result was taking a second black coach in your Nighthawk list. (laughs) If you're you're playing Nighthawk and you've got one black coach and you're thinking, oh, I'm having trouble beating Change Host, Fire Slayers, Bone Reapers, you just add a second black coach and you are (laughs) guaranteed to improve. Yeah, or a corpse cat. Yeah, or well, just add a corpse out. Well, everybody takes the corpse cat now, obviously. Yeah. Main thing that I think would be really cool if people could do it just to obviously uh, GP. I guess you can track who goes to the website, like how many hits and stuff the website gets. Probably theoretically. Yeah, but like if everybody could go to ageofsimulator.com forward slash metabreakers and have a look at the metabreaker section because you've spent a bit of time and you've like put a video on there showing like a um, the factions over like the length of Age of Sigmar since stats were yeah. kind of collected, oh, yeah. and then you've got a couple of links on the Meta Breaker section for like how did you figure out the Meta Breakers and then what the new ranking system is, and it explains a lot about like why he's doing the stats this way. Mm-hmm. That's true, That's and it wouldn't be wasted energy for you to have done that if <laughs> people <would> <laughs> need it because it is super interesting stuff, and uh, it'd be cool if it got a bit more traction. Yeah. Thanks. Appreciate the shout out. No, no, definitely. People should they should go and have a look. And yeah, and the other thing I suppose that we need to to get people to do more is our tos, um, is to make sure that people's allegiances are properly inputted. Yeah. I imagine because that can be one thing. It's like um, I complained for ages because the different legions of legions and the gash were never yeah. pulled out as a separate mm-hmm. and you know. It, it that that always wound me up that in in the um the rankings and things it just went in as legions whereas yeah i thought that because i was doing pretty good with legion and knight that should have its own uh sort of like acknowledgement um, it should do yeah but um now i think that's happened recently but i think yeah just just a, a little bit of a nudge to people that if they if they're uh inputting that data and uploading the list themselves just to make sure that the um the allegiances uh, are, are accurate now as opposed to nathan's false claim the uh rank one legion of night player in my ranking system is one Stuart west so ah, there you go look at that i do, I do want to add stuff to the page like i want to get little badges little titles for everyone who's you know rank one in their faction and stuff just more cool stuff to recognize because again it does it, it you know being rank one being in the masters because you're a great player and you play great armies or whatever is super cool and he's already rewarded and there's a cool masters um but i think it's cool just giving out more stuff for people playing playing the scene because it would be a much more boring scene if everybody just played the best army at every event and so i think it's cool to reward people where we can for playing stuff that they like and 
popping off. Sounds good to me. No, and thank you very much. We'll we'll do that, and we'll oh, we'll maybe you. catch you again later in the uh, later in the year. And hopefully, there's been some more events, so we can. Uh, Thirty floors below sea level in my bunker. Yeah, <laughs> we'll 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 see how things have evolved. Um, Mutated. Nationally. Yeah, hopefully not, eh? Hopefully not. <laughs> right. Well, thank you very much. So, no, JP, you. what what's your song gonna be? Oh God, this uh, just, just called me out last time. Um, Last time I picked based on Flesh Eater Core. Oh, okay. What about um, Everybody Knows by Sigrid? What the f- Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have no idea. So I'll, I'll, I'll do a search. So anyway, well, thank you very much. And it is a good night from um, clean and virus-free Orkney. <laughs> It's good night from ending the incubation, isolation, whatever we're calling it, Glasgow. (laughs) Yeah, well, good night from uh, day one of 6,000 in my office in Leamington Spa. All right, cheers, guys. See you later. See ya. Everybody knows that the dice are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody knows the war is so. Everybody knows the good guys lost. Everybody knows the fight was fixed. The poor stay poor, the rich get rich. That's how it goes. Everybody knows. Everybody knows that the boat is leaking. Everybody knows that the captain Everybody got this broken feeling Like their father or their dog just died Everybody talking to their pockets Everybody wants a box of chocolates And a long stem rose Everybody knows Everybody knows that you love me, baby Everybody knows that you really do Everybody knows that you've been faithful Give or take a night or two Everybody knows you've been discreet But there were so many people you just had to meet Without your clothes Everybody knows Everybody knows Everybody knows That's how it goes Everybody knows Everybody knows Everybody knows Everybody knows that it's now or never Everybody knows that it's me or you And everybody knows that you live forever 